Welcome to episode nine of Swift Unwrapped. Swift Unwraps a weekly show about the latest and greatest developments in Swift, uh, the Apple's programming language. Um, it's basically an audio commentary on the Swift Weekly Brief, which uh, you should check out. I'm JP Samard, and I'm joined by my co-host Jesse Squires. And uh, this episode, we have a sponsor. It is Perfect.org, who writes a server-side Swift framework. And so if you're a full-stack developer who's curious about how Perfect can handle functions like you're used to in PHP, Python, or other languages, uh, you should check out some of their videos made by uh, members of the Perfect community uh, that answer uh, these exact questions uh, for people coming from these other server-side backgrounds. And you can find links to all these videos on perfect.org. And today we have a very special topic. We want to dive in headfirst into a manifesto. Let's talk strings. Yeah, the string manifesto. So this was introduced by Dave Abrahams and Ben Cohen a few months back, I guess. Uh, there had been uh, lots of talk about improving the string APIs um, since Swift, maybe Swift 3, I guess. Maybe sw some discussion in Swift 2 as well. I mean, the gauntlet really dropped when Swift 3 was uh, first first previewed basically at WWDC mm -hmm. 2016. And uh, at that point, shortly thereafter, really in July, uh, an email was sent out really outlining kind of the direction of Swift 4. Um, so that was late July, looking back on Swift 3 and ahead to Swift 4. And that's where uh, they really dropped the, the bombshell saying uh, one of the things we want to focus on is string reevaluation, which to be honest, I actually saw as a surprise. Um, I was a bit surprised to see that, especially because the Swift core team has made such a big deal in the past about really how the string type um, has really been optimized for correctness, for right. Unicode correctness. Right. And how um, and having full Unicode support. Absolutely. Um, and not only that, but also uh, not so much admission from from the core team uh, up until Swift 3, at least. Um, but certainly this feeling from the community that Swift string API is kind of difficult to wrap your head around. Mm -hmm. Um even and I mean, no one really understands Unicode. But even if <laughs> even if you're you're kind of familiar that there there Unicode uh, traps mm -hmm. that uh, even with that in mind, it's it's still a difficult API to use um, when when you're trying to accomplish certain things. So it was a bit of a surprise to, to see that uh, a string reevaluation was actually on the docket for Swift four. Yeah, every article that I read about Unicode, uh, after I finish, I feel like I know less about Unicode. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ola Bigaman has some really great articles on Unicode. Um, there was one recently, or, or maybe a few months back, about emoji and like the new emoji in, I think, Unicode 9 uh, that came with uh, an iOS update. And, and he walks through like some of the intricacies of how uh, Unicode works um, in the context of emoji, but it also applies to other parts of Unicode, just like regular language um, dealing with how 
you know, accent marks are handled. Um, and so I think one of the one of the difficulties with the string API is that it kind of exposes a lot of this to the user. You have all these different views into the string that I think a lot of people don't think about often or haven't had to before. Um, and Unicode doesn't really clearly define what a character is in some ways. Well, it, uh, or it very explicitly defines what a character well, is. Well, uh, sorry, I guess like the, sorry, not a character, but like the length of a string um, and like the length of characters because you can have, uh, depending on how those Unicode sequences are composed, right? You could have like E plus an accent or like E with accent. Sure, but but that's exactly why the Unicode sure. standard exists mm-hmm. is to explicitly define um, kind of what the composition of a string uh, can look like for for valid UTF eight, UTF sixteen, etc. Sure, and but 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 really the the traps or the gotchas there are that um, you really have to keep in mind that a character might not necessarily be the same width. Um, depending on the character, right? You have these concepts of extended grapheme clusters, which is, right. it rolls off the tongue, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is pr- probably what contributes a bit to, to the confusion. Mm-hmm. But not only that, uh, it's it's actually a fairly expensive process to mm-hmm. go and parse an entire string, depending on the length of the string, mm-hmm. and uh, deconstruct it in all of its base characters. And this right. is something that if you're dealing mostly with ASCII text, mm-hmm. right? where everything fits in into into eight byte sequences mm-hmm. then you, you you won't hit this right and this is where a lot of people um, will run into problems is that they'll uh, test their app with a bunch of uh, ASCII only mm-hmm. characters and then everything works fine and it's really when you push to production and people outside of your corner of the world start accessing this and uh, and or or these days, People use emoji quite a bit, right? right Where you right. have combination uh, of uh, a combination of code points that create other characters, and so this is very important for for a string type to consider and expose in its API. Right, and so I guess what I was really trying to get at a minute ago was uh, the the visual string that you see and what you would assume is its length is not necessarily uh, true uh, in code. Where let's say you have like the emoji of uh, uh, the person typing on a laptop. Um, And now that we have these skin tones, it's actually, I think that is actually, that specific emoji character is a man or woman character plus a laptop plus a skin tone. And that's how it's composed. That's right. But visually, you just see this single character. Right. So, and the same thing goes for, um, if you look at any of the flag emojis, they're basically, uh, compositions of two different code points. For example, U and S for the American flag. Right. And in some of the early versions of Swift, actually, if you had the American flag emoji in a string and then you called reverse on it, you'd actually get SU uh, <laughs> rather than, say, uh, like a house of cards flipped American flag, mm-hmm. um, which maybe would have been more appropriate, but not exactly <laughs> in the standard. Right. Um, and so this is part of the reason why this stuff is is hard. Um, and you don't just want a correct API when when you're doing some API design for this and this is 
where we start to see some of the goals for Swift 4 and beyond is that correctness um, is one of the most important goals, if not the most important one, but a correct API that's hard to use or easy to misuse mm-hmm. is uh, no better than a wrong API that's um, easy to use incorrectly as well. Right. Um, and so the three goals for Swift 4 are to improve the ergonomics, correctness, and then lastly, performance of string manipulation. Yeah, and regarding uh, this this idea of ergonomics and correctness, um, part of this is kind of providing a smaller API surface area in terms of, yeah, just how many uh, APIs there are to deal with these things. And they they do this comparison uh, in this uh, manifesto where the string type has uh, 205 APIs total compared with uh, int, which only has 80. And their argument here is that, you know, string processing is already super complex. And when you have this huge API service area, it really just makes it even more complex and confusing for end users, uh, especially if you have APIs that are very similar and only vary in like behavior or parameters just by a little bit, then you know, users get to this point where they think, oh, well, which which one do I need? Which one is right for this specific situation? Um, and so uh, we're at this place now where String has yeah, more than double the APIs of Int, uh, as they mentioned. Uh, it's probably one of the largest types in the standard library. Absolutely. And an important note here is that this 205 APIs um, – it's not just the sheer number; it's also the complexity of these APIs. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I, I haven't done the exact math here, but it looks about half and half split between the standard library and foundation. So if you're if you're using um, Swift on any Darwin platform, building an iOS app, for example, you have access to um, sometimes the APIs are on NSString, sometimes they're on String. So you also have bridging involved, uh, and not only that, but Compared to int, which um, doesn't have any APIs that take uh, more than two parameters in their functions, you actually have a large number of APIs that take up to six arguments. Like, for example, in foundation, there's there's one of those, there's two that take five, seven that take four. And so these are fairly complex APIs as well. And then later on in, in this proposal, uh, one of the key recommendations to help improve the situation, I, I'd say there are really two, mm-hmm. but the top one that comes to mind is restoring the conforms to the collection protocol, which uh, will... For the characters view. For string, actually. Oh, for string um, itself. So they, they actually intend to drop the characters view altogether and just make uh, string conform to the collection protocol directly, which would mean that uh, it is a collection of characters. Therefore, the dot characters view is no longer necessary. And one of the main motivations, according to the proposal, for not doing this uh, before is that um, there are some edge cases where uh, string doesn't exactly behave in the same way as other collections. And and this, again, gets back to 
kind of uh, combining code points. So for example, if you had um, the Unicode U symbol uh, at the end of one string, and then the Unicode S symbol at the beginning of another, and you can't need these two collections, um, you would actually get the American flag, right? So right. you're no longer, right. you basically have this collection that uh, behaves behaves differently from all other types of collections in the sense that when you um, combine a collection of 10 characters with another collection of 10 characters, you might not get 20 characters in your final collection. You might get 19. Right. Um, But uh, they go into great lengths to explain uh, why the trade-offs in practice just aren't worth uh, not conforming to collection and how uh, the vast majority of use cases for string will not have this problem. And not only that, but you, you'd still need to uh, hit the right set of APIs um, and the right set of edge conditions to get these kinds of problems where mm-hmm. the the core team seems to be satisfied with clearly documenting these edge cases and uh, the the people who'd run into them, odds are that they're the type of people building text editors or doing some in-depth string manipulation and will be able right. to uh, consider this when they're designing their their apps. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the current API having to access dot characters is quite unintuitive, uh, especially for people coming from other languages uh, where you can iterate through a string's characters kind of like a collection, um, or at least like uh, a string is often indexable by characters like an array. Yeah, and and actually in early versions of Swift, um, it, string did conform to, to the collection type protocol. Yeah, which version? Was that before 2 or? Uh, let's see here. It says it right here. Um, so yeah, in Swift 2, string's collection conformance was dropped. Um, okay, and and then the wording here is that they convinced themselves that the semantics differed enough uh, from those of collection too significantly. So that's one side. Actually, one thing that I wanted to mention uh, as a brief aside here is that we've been comparing the string. API complexity to the int type, um, which is also a very important type in the standard library. And there's actually a rewrite underway that's expected to substantially reduce the scope of int's API. Um, and, and the goal there is to use more generics. And I think the protocol-oriented uh, integers also falls into this category. Right, right. I mean, I think a lot of the complexity in the int API really just stems from um, whether the integers are signed or not, and then all the different integer sizes. And here it's like, it's kind of, I don't know, all you have to worry about is you just have this single string type, but it just does so much. And and perhaps it does too much. And there's talk in this proposal <laughs> yeah. to delineate uh difference between human-facing strings and uh, more kind of machine-generated strings that uh, perhaps you can guarantee at compile time that only contains ASCII characters and doesn't have extended graphing clusters to go and screw up your algorithms. Right. I think one thing that's interesting to me uh, as a library author is the decision about what is inherent or intrinsic to the string type itself and what should be in some kind of library, uh, like the standard library. If you look at NSString and foundation, I mean, the API service in NSString is massive and it does 
so much. I mean, there's even like data encoding. Um, it, it's kind of crazy to me to think that um, you you have these kinds of APIs on on a string. Yeah, actually, this this bifurcation of the string APIs, you know, the foundation NS string APIs, and then the Swift standard library uh, APIs is, I think, one of the more compelling arguments um, for having more of the core functionality in Swift uh, than than foundation. You know, in, in the early days of Swift, you had this big push, especially pre-open source, to um, have foundation uh, independent code, right? Where you had an right. entirely, quote unquote, Swifty code base mm-hmm. and um, that uh, avoid foundation because it's not Swifty. And I think for the most part, those arguments were were um, misguided, sure. um, and that motivation was misguided. But just seeing the sheer complexity of, um, especially the combination of NSString plus String APIs, mm-hmm. uh, is I think a good motivator for uh, reducing the reliance on foundation for performing string operations. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, I don't know, to me personally, it does feel like a lot of this belongs in the standard library that ships with the language. Yeah. And again, you know, last episode, we mentioned um, the fact that pushing NS JSON serialization uh, or JSON serialization rather down from foundation slash CoreLibs foundation down a level into the sta- standard library is beneficial because uh, again, it, it improves or it, it's a major step towards the goal of having cross-platform Swift. And so whenever opportunities like that arise, I think it's important to consider um, reducing the reliance on foundation. Definitely. And just to point out real quick, the CoreLibs foundation that is on GitHub is not the same as uh, foundation that you get with the uh, Apple SDKs. Um, Referred to as Darwin Foundation. Yeah. They, they strive to produce the same behavior, but that is not always the case. And so if you are trying to write cross-platform Swift now, um, if it's running on one of Apple's platforms, you uh, are calling into Darwin Foundation. If it's running on Linux, you're calling into Core Libs Foundation. So there's this weird discrepancy there that we can get rid of if we move this kind of functionality into the standard library. Yeah, and whenever you have that bifurcation there, you're definitely going to run into cases where one implementation one implementation behaves one way, and the other implementation behaves differently. Right, and uh, those are fun to debug. <laughs> uh, so, what else is part of the string manifesto uh, that's caught your attention? Uh, so, we mentioned um, separating language-dependent operations for humans versus uh, machine processing strings. And then we also mentioned uh, restoring the collection conformance. So some of the other aspects are providing a more general and composable slicing syntax and and type. Yeah, and having uh, better usage or uh, better APIs around substrings. They want to make substrings the same type uh, as string. And, or sorry, there, there are three options here. Uh, regarding the substring um, slicing. So those substrings can be the same type and share storage uh, as string. Uh, They can be the same type as string um, and copy the storage. Um, So like the underlying storage would either be shared or copied to the substring, or you could just make substrings a different type altogether with a storage copy. And uh, the 
manifesto here uh, argues that this this last option uh, is the best choice. Yeah, I, I really tend to agree. But obviously, the biggest downside is that uh, then you have different types. Right. And you're adding to the type uh, cognitive load that someone has to deal with. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that um, substrings are really the times where you'll be exposed to those directly as a type mm-hmm. is probably going to be more of an optimization mm-hmm. uh, than the common occurrence. I mean, you'll definitely be working with substrings fairly frequently, but I think um, if the APIs are, are transparent enough, uh, user or developer might not necessarily be aware that they're manipulating a substring rather than a string. Right. Uh, I guess this kind of, this relates to like the existing range and uh, in like indexing APIs that I find are a bit cumbersome to use and a little bit awkward sometimes. So I'd hope that this is uh, a little bit easier to use. Yeah, I really hope so. And really, um, you know, one of the things that uh, make me fairly confident or optimistic, I should say, um, about about how this will end up is that um, the two authors for the Swift String Manifesto uh, have really proven their worth in terms of being able to design uh, not only correct, but very ergonomic APIs. Um, so obviously, uh, Dave Abrahams, who's the um, Swift standard library lead, mm-hmm. and then Ben Cohen, also known as Air- Airspeed Swift, which if you've you know been in the Swift community, especially before um, he joined Apple, uh, he just was extremely prolific, had tons of great insight into building um, rich, concise, uh, flexible, and expressive algorithms in Swift. Mm-hmm. I think he helped write... Um, it was either... Uh, he helped write the first editions of uh, Advanced Swift with Chris Eidhoff and the that's right. OBCIO guys. Yeah. yeah. So I think he goes by both Airspeed Swift on Twitter and then Airspeed Velocity was his blog. Uh, but anyway, like great content. And um, if I could pick anyone in the world to help design this, I, th- I think it'd be him. Yeah, for sure. One of the other key proposals in this manifesto um, touches on making changes to the comparison and hashing of strings. Um, so this is a key part of performance. Um, and so not only that, but it's drastically affected by correctness as well. So if you're um, performing certain operations on on strings, like comparisons and, and hashing, there's a very quick path optimized approach that you can take if you know that you're only dealing with um, you non-user facing non-user facing strings. Yeah, yeah. And so this is again kind of a corollary of splitting the string type between uh, user facing or human facing strings and machine processing strings. And so um, the the changes that are being proposed here basically suggest modifying or, or splitting up the hashing algorithm to have basically one version uh, for human-facing strings that basically applies the full um, Unicode collation algorithm, um, which is something that's defined in the Unicode standard, which goes through a series of steps to fully normalize both strings. So I'm assuming that this involves doing things like combining code marks, uh, like if there are multiple uh, representations 
of uh, of a string, of a semantic string. Like for example, uh, the combining code mark, like the acute accent and e, or the combined character. That it would just kind of normalize that into a standard representation. They would convert each string to a sequence of numeric triples to form a collation key. I don't even know what half those were. Well, I mean, those are simple <laughs> words, but what does the whole th- sentence mean? I don't know. <laughs> um, exercise for the listener, I guess. Um, and then uh, the the next step is to flatten this whole thing. Um, and, and the way this flattening works is by... Um, yeah, I, just, I don't even know. I'm trying to explain this without understanding it. Maybe yeah, it's a yeah. bad idea. I don't know. It looks like, okay, so you have these numeric triples, and then you just concatenate all of these in this flattening step. Yeah, those are the words that are there. But I don't know what that <laughs> yeah, means. Right. Yeah, we need uh, Dave Abrahams and Ben Cohen to come on and yeah, explain Yeah, we definitely this. do. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess the in a nutshell, what we're what I'm trying to say here is that this is a fairly expensive algorithm and complicated and, and complicated and uh, yeah <laughs> requires and, a mastery of the Unicode standard right, definition, which not all end users have or want to have, especially not us. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, this this just goes to say that this stuff is complex, um, and so splitting up. Uh, this string into two separate types would really help with that in in not only optimizing the the simple case but also uh, making it m- more easy for users to kind of understand what's happening. Yeah, and so then for these like machine only strings, uh, things that are not localized, uh, only this first step of actually normalizing these strings would be needed uh, for um, hashing. Uh, and comparison. Those are sufficient, and they uh, the the actual expensive work is in these these other three steps um, in the Unicode collation algorithm. So, I guess that's uh, a big win in terms of performance uh, when you're dealing with non-localized strings. Right, and actually, as of um, I think Swift three, the implementation for hashing strings uh, was changed to use um, the SIP hashing algorithm, uh, which we'll put a link in the show notes for that. But um, it's basically one of the uh, one of the leading um, hashing algorithms in, in terms of not only performance, but also one of the things that you want with a, with a good hashing algorithm is um, to maximize the surface area, basically, of, of a hash so that you're you're having as few collisions as possible. So with this added, very efficient uh, string hashing algorithm, I guess the other side of improving string hashing is changing what you're hashing in the first place, uh, which is where kind of this uh, Unicode collation algorithm comes in. So if that can be sped up, uh, then hashing strings is actually one of the most common operations that you do with strings when you're using, say, a dictionary with string keys. Right. it's probably the most common use case there. Yeah, right. probably. Yeah. Um, it's probably the the most string processing that uh, that right. a, that iOS apps end up doing. Right. <laughs> right. So very important to optimize this. Um, and then, so the the other side of the changes to to hashing and the comparable protocol is to kind of expand it to be a little bit more uh, human facing string aware. So, um, for example, when you're performing comparisons, um, you might want to get um, a little bit more information than just 
uh, greater than or equal than, right? So you have this concept of a, of a sort order, um, which uh, is the is this new struct that would or an enum rather with before same and after cases that would bridge to NS comparison results if you've used foundations APIs for this in the past. What else? Uh, what else is there to say? Yeah, there's there's all sorts of other options that you could also apply to uh, to sorting. For example, you might want to have diacritic insensitive search, which would go and strip out all of the accents mm-hmm. and then you have case sensitivity yeah. as well. Uh, you might have locale sensitive sorting as well, which is, so I think a lot of this is already possible with uh, both the standard library or if not uh, that, then foundations string APIs. Um, but it definitely contributes to the explosion of complexity of the types of methods that you have on string. And so consolidating that um, is definitely a step in the right direction in terms of ergonomics. So there's a lot more that this uh, manifesto covers, but um, most interestingly, I think, is towards the very end, there's a handful of open questions that uh, Dave and Ben have opened up. Um, and the reason why these are open questions rather than kind of clear-cut uh, sub-proposals as part of this manifesto, I think, is that there are no right answers. There's a number of different ways that this can go, and they all incur certain types of trade-offs. So they basically outline uh, a bunch of the considerations that are involved to really go and spark conversation and discussion. Yeah. Uh, one of these uh, deals with description and de- debug description for your types. Um, so the question is, you know, should these be localized or not? Uh, can you just return a string? And is that is that good enough? And is, is debug description even really pulling its own weight um, in terms of the API surface area that it that it adds? Yeah, which you know it's it's a single property, so you, you have to kind of ask yourself uh, how much weight does it really add. But then on the flip side, with two hundred and five APIs on string, uh, you know, and and string being a very complex and um, critical type, then you have to ask yourself, well, where can we cut? And uh, and so every every little bit counts, I assume. Um, personally, I very rarely use debug description on on string, and uh, you know, I I would I would say go and axe it. But you know, if you are relying on that um, as part of your development workflow, uh, then yeah, that that could cause some issues for you. Um, there's you know potentially other uh, ways that. Um, this kind of debug information about strings could be exposed. Like for example, it could have a custom implementation of the dump uh, function, right? So dump is is a freeform top level function in the Swift standard library uh, that's really only designed to be used for debugging that can print out uh, some additional information. I don't recall if it actually just uh, delegates to debug description. I, I think it, it actually um, does a lot more than that where it, it does... Uh, print out a bit of the um, internal representation details of a type. Yeah, I think it basically reflects on that whole type, but it may use um, debug description to to print out uh, the description of members. Yeah, I'm my sure. my guess uh, at this point or assumption would be that it basically recursively calls de- debug description all the members of of the uh, object graph that you're that you're dumping out but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they can special case this and basically have um, special code path within dump that would specifically handle string i think uh, the string type is 
critical enough that uh, you know it, it can get some special casing elsewhere in the standard library. Another open question is, what do we do with the static string type? So I've always found this API pretty difficult to use. Static string is used, for example, you, you might run into it if um, you're dealing with the file, the, the Octothorpe file and Octothorpe line number uh, APIs that are often useful when you're, say, implementing your own um, XC test uh, reports and you want to um, specify that something happened on, on one line or another. But... Uh, in my experience, they rarely bubble up to kind of user written code. Um, so uh, I, I, I really see an advantage to being able, especially if this was expanded or refined for external use, um, I would definitely see an advantage to be able to specify a static string only if the compiler does not have sufficient information uh, with the other string types, like string literal, for example, um, to infer certain optimizations that can be done. So uh, I really don't know enough about uh, the how much the compiler can uh, enforce with string types mm-hmm. or how, how much it can detect to, to really say if static string can pull its own weight or if it should really just be an implementation detail. So another open question here is, should there be a string facade? Um, and this section kind of goes into these details about how to handle Unicode in terms of how it's presented to the user. Uh, earlier in the manifesto, uh, they outlined this this Unicode protocol in-depth that exposes all these different, different Unicode uh, views and operations. And what they suggest here is like maybe the string APIs would be provided by this uh, kind of generic wrapper around an instance of Unicode. And that way you can access these like specific Unicode, like lower level string APIs behind this dot Unicode property. Yeah. And and this would really be a power user feature, I'd imagine, where if you do need uh, more fine-grained access to the string representation or the string storage, then you could specify that. Um, I'm not sure how well this would play with Swift's uh, progressive disclosure design philosophy. Uh, it might actually inadvertently expose a little too much uh, flexibility for the vast majority of users. So I don't really think that this is a great way to go, but I, I might be missing something. Or, or on the other hand, this might be uh, exactly designed for for power user feature for power users to use, uh, and it, it might be you know just the right choice. I'm leaning towards no. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'd like to learn more about this. It seems like this may, uh, fit in better with this progressive disclosure philosophy. Maybe that's the motivation behind this where users may not have to deal with these things and only like more advanced users would, would dive into this. Yeah, uh, I guess this is one of the limitations of not actually being able to try this out, uh, really just commenting based off of what we can see sure. in the readme here, sure. or, or the markdown file. Um, but uh, this could either be a good thing or a bad thing for progressive disclosure. Uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd probably have to try it out to really see if um, this is a if this is preferable to say like a string protocol that would combine both a string type and a machine readable string type or, or an ASCII string type. I, I find it interesting that actually ASCII string isn't 
while I, I think it is being proposed um, a few times, there's like the is ASCII uh, example, but there's also um, there's also a uh, an extended ASCII item that's that's being proposed here. It seems like that would really be the the logical uh, representation of of that machine readable string component. Well, uh, I guess the you know positive thing about this is that developers can uh, focus more on strings and localization um, and have better APIs, hopefully, to eventually uh, work with this, which I think um, a lot of apps lack proper uh, localization and especially storing and searching localized strings. Um, so hopefully these APIs can could, could eventually help with, with a lot of these issues that developers face. Yeah, and really, since this is such a, uh, a critical part of the Swift standard library and will most likely drastically affect uh, how users deal with the string type in their own apps, I'd really like to see some sort of trial period or, or feedback period where some of this is actually implemented in the standard library and there might be a Swift snapshot that that exposes all of that. But obviously that's kind of the technical requirement. But um, if that was coupled with a like an, an actual marketing push, if you will, to encourage people to try this out, uh, we might get much more tangible feedback on this. And we might see in practice how much refactoring will be involved to to be able to uh, conform to, to this new string design. You know, maybe they, they could uh, send out an Xcode beta with this and use that as the mechanism to kind of get feedback instead of snapshots, which I know a lot of people are not using at all. So it seems like maybe you do this kind of weird one-off Xcode beta and then people yell at you and then it's like, oh, it's just a beta with this snapshot bundled, you know? Well, that's guaranteed to happen at WWDC. There'll be a version of mm -hmm. Xcode 9 that also has a Swift 4 preview and probably a lot of this will have been implemented. Um, but then that's really putting the, the pressure on completing this design and refactor and, and polishing it off by the time that Xcode exits beta. Um, and I'm just not sure, like, I do think that the extra like month or two that if they released a snapshot now, or maybe a beta version of Xcode now mm -hmm. with this uh, just snapshot baked in yeah. would, would actually go a long way to just extending that runway and giving the, the Swift developers that much more time to go and implement this and incorporate feedback. All right. Well, I think that's uh, good for this episode. Again, we'd like to thank our uh, sponsor, Perfectly Soft. Uh, you can find them at perfect.org for server-side Swift. You can find me on Twitter at jesse underscore squires. You can find me on Twitter at simjp, and you can find the show at swift underscore unwrapped. Thanks for listening.